This is the Working Drummer Podcast. Working Drummer Podcast. Featuring ground level pros from all styles and regions. Real drummers with real stories about making a living in music. Hey everyone, welcome to Working Drummer Podcast. I'm Zach Albetta, and my guest today is Billy Brimblecombe. Billy's 25-year career has involved touring, recording, and everyday gigging with a wide variety of acts, including Blackpool Lights, Katie Herzig, and Summer Breeze. In 2005, Billy was diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma in his left leg, which was ultimately amputated above the knee. In addition to continuing his drumming career in both his hometown of Kansas City and Nashville, Billy became the executive director of Steps of Faith, a nonprofit organization that helps get prosthetics to amputees in need. You can subscribe to Working Drummer Podcast on your platform of choice. We're available on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and YouTube. And be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We would also appreciate your support on Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash working drummer, and a donation in any amount gets you access to exclusive content from our former guests. Think of this as professional development for drummers, all useful and actionable lessons for the working pro. We're populating new content regularly, and as little as $1 a month gets you access to all of it. If Patreon isn't your thing, you can also make a one-time donation through PayPal. There are links to both on our homepage at workingdrummer.net. So we talk a lot about how playing drums for a living full-time is less common than we may think, and how many drummers' paths draw them toward other callings, some of which overlap with music, some of which are completely separate, and Billy is one such drummer. There are some really cool and unique ways that he has merged his drumming life with a cause and a purpose that he has become equally passionate about. So let's get to it. Here's Billy Brimblecombe. Having uh, great uh, <laughs> great drum break hangs with the kids in there. I know I need I need to get those happening more consistently again. That, you that you a- really do because there's such a night like it's exactly what you say it is. It's a drum break and it's just you and your your two little kids just like bashing the shit out of some drums and it's like <laughs> it's such a welcome <laughs> distraction. I appreciate you saying that and I, <laughs> it's surprising how many people have said that. And how positive the responses were when I was doing them almost every night there for a couple months or whatever. And then, you know, I did a couple after not doing any while that didn't have the kids. It just me playing a couple weeks ago or whatever. And then even then, just like people are like, thank you for doing this. I'm like, I'm not, my kids weren't even in this. I'm just like, yeah, you know, I just don't, I've never posted much. At the, I don't know. So it's, I mean, I, you know, I love it. So it's just cool that people are, so enjoy it. Yeah, I'm just plus surprised, I guess. It, you know? It's and it seems like the kids dig it too. I, it doesn't. It doesn't seem like something they're like, oh, we got to go do dad's Instagram thing again. Like they <laughs> all about it. I yeah, love they yeah. got their little ear protection too. They got their little cans on. Yeah, yeah <laughs> just yeah. going at it, man. It's it's great yeah. to see. Yeah. Uh, um. So what like what have you been doing the last six months other than bashing on drums in the basement with your kids? Oh, last six months. I mean, what a year, right? Yeah. So weird. Um, you know, man, I got to say, you know, even though, you know, my, my job, um, I, you know, I, I work, I got a nonprofit day job. Right. And, and so, um, 
fortunately that's kept going and even though donations have been less have been enough to scrape by and we normally bring in a big our biggest chunk of change coming up here real soon uh in the fall and so we're working on you know a plan b for that as we speak but yeah it's just been kind of um you know my crew we've been fine my family you Mm -hmm. know thank god we've been healthy and um my wife and i both have jobs that we kind of can do for the most part from anywhere Mm -hmm. um and so uh you know it it has been nice you know i'm at my office today um i'm the only one here today but it, it has been nice over the last few months to be able to do a little bit more things you know um I kind of have felt even even though my my family has been okay, I definitely have felt you know I think we all have kind of felt the heaviness of the the climate of planet Earth and its <laughs> state of being yeah uh, even even pre-virus uh, since the election and I would say even uh, in spite of whoever you voted for, it's just been like a weird time of life yeah um, in particular this year. So we're fine. We've just been hanging out. Um, we have safely traveled a little bit mm-hmm. to a couple things. Um, and, uh, you know, we're just trying to keep the lights on, you know, and trying to trying to find a way to, um, you know, there's been a couple times where we've tried to do some fun, entertaining shows, which we did one recently. And right. And it looked like you did, uh, you know, what what might have been the, the first show back or kind of a, a rare <laughs> one of those few and far between shows these days definitely few and far between shows yeah so we we did it i mean you know this is this is nothing compared to like you or people who you know who your entire living is pretty much made from making music and 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 doing things in front of people even mm-hmm. though i run a nonprofit and so i have like a desk job you know, I'm the executive director of the nonprofit. So my job is really connecting with people to keep gas in the tank and cool things happening for this. Right. And our method of fundraising has always been the thing I did in my old full-time job, which was playing drums. You right. Know? Right. And so, so it's, it's been, um, yeah, it's been crazy. So, so all that to say, our silly yacht rock band, summer breeze, um, you it's know, we, not silly. It's awesome. <laughs> it is awesome. It is awesome. Uh, but you know, we're 11 years going now, and yeah. fortunately, uh, I'm as pleasant. I'm as surprised as anyone, and uh, but just more pleasantly surprised than anyone that the band has continued to grow, um, especially in the last four or five years, like like pretty significantly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, we, my my point, what I was getting at is like we didn't have like a whole tour a year of touring that was wiped out, but we had a lot of shows on the books, including right. a, including a private event that we were going to do on Nevis Island in the Caribbean at the four seasons. Uh, <laughs> man, that... we're booked. Hotel was booked. It was a done deal. That one hurts. And, uh, <laughs> and that was a corporate event. Uh, and we ended up uh, filming it in a, like a sound studio in North Kansas city three weeks ago. Oh, wow. So you like, so, you played, you played the private event remotely. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, that, I mean, that's, that's cool that you got to do that, but of course it, it's not getting to go to the Caribbean <laughs> to the four I know. seasons. I'm like, can we do that? Oh yeah. 
dude, I, my wife, my wife's in the band with me, you know? And so we were going to stay two extra days. Yeah. Our piano player, uh, was, uh, had, was flying his wife out. They were going to stay for a whole week, uh, for their 20th wedding anniversary. So anyway, we've had to cancel a bunch of stuff, but we did a thing, an outdoor thing, even in the rain, it stopped raining during the time we played where it was a drive-in thing. I think I saw you were doing one of those. Yeah. I did one about a month ago. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that was cool. That was out, you know, at town center out in the suburbs here. Mm -hmm. Um, a thing they normally do in the summer is that was going to be earlier in the summer and then got pushed back. And then it was mostly people in cars and that was great. It was a free event and, um, it was just great to just make music at all with human beings in the same, on the same stage and then have people there. And it was really sweet. Um, so not counting the Caribbean, plan B in the sound studio in North Kansas city, which was also very fun. Um, I really did enjoy doing that all things considered, but no, we, we did a thing, um, on the rooftop of a hotel here in town, the Westin crown center. Mm-hmm. And it's actually the games deck. So it's like off the fourth floor, but you can see the whole city. Um, it's this huge outdoor space that you could normally easily put, I don't know what the weight limit is, but you could put a thousand people up there easily. Right. right. And um, Quixotic, which you know about. Yeah. Um, uh, Quixotic local um, performance art troupe would be the best way to explain. Yeah. To I mean, people. it's it's kind of like Cirque du Soleil, but local and cooler. Yes. Is that fair? Yeah. And as <laughs> they said, maybe a little more urban. I like Yeah, that for said. sure. Yeah. yeah. And they, and they perform, you know, for those listening that don't know about Quixotic uh, or Quixotic Fusion, I think as they're sometimes called, I mean, they perform all over the world. They, they perform more all over the world than they do normally in Kansas City. Yeah. Uh, but uh, they were doing a show. They are doing a show up there Thursday, Friday, Saturdays. Um, and unless it's rained out, every one of them is sold out. And they have that big space out there. Uh, up there and it's a beautiful view when you look at the stage you see you look north so you see the skyline of kansas city right i've got some posted on my instagram of it um but and it's you know super spaced out very limited capacity 188 seats that's it right so it's like you know and so we did that summer breeze did that on sunday and uh it was really you know special and great yeah i think a lot of us are having that experience uh where you know on the rare occasion that we do get to make music in a space with other people for other people. Um, you know, almost no matter what it is, it's kind of reconnecting us with like, Oh shit, this is, this is why I do this. This is why I love this. Um, and you know, we've all been, we've all been holed up in our studios, learning how to record and, and getting that game together. And that's been exciting for me, but man, just like being out, being out in front of people and playing with other musicians, is just the most basic, most cool thing. Um, and I'm, I'm glad we're, it, it seems like we're all starting to get, you know, a couple more chances to, to get back to that. Um, speaking yeah. of, so speaking of the Yacht Rock gig, um, I've, I've done some of that since I've been in Atlanta. Um, I feel like you guys kind of got in on the ground floor of that, uh, trend. Um, you said you've been yeah. going for 11 years and I, I remember, I mean, I was still, it was at the tail end of my time in Kansas city when you guys started that band. Yeah, right. Um, so I'm always curious to talk to drummers about like, you know, what, what have you learned um, or how has it stretched you to like get inside those songs, dissect those drum parts, get those sounds down? Um, what's uh, what, what are some of your takeaways from that music? Yeah, well, it's 
you know, people feel different ways about that music. I think kind of depending on how old you are, mm-hmm. um, you know, I mean, yacht rock, like the, it, you know, the term yacht rock was coined in 2005, you know, by these guys who created the, uh, yacht rock web series on YouTube. And, um, and it was like a kind of like a mockumentary with these fake storylines about how some of those songs were written and, and, and kind of, you know, these silly over the top, um, you know, rivalries with, with some of those bands and that kind of thing. Um, but it was created by these guys that, that, you know, were not only actors and writers, but they were also dudes that worked at all music guide. So they're real, you know, music geeks Mm -hmm. and I'm one of those people. And so they just liner notes and that kind of thing. So, so I, I guess the kitschiness comes more from, the thing they created. Um, and right. then, and so, so, but really, and, and it might seem kitschy just because just like when you see, a, you know, this happens in every generation, you see of a, a picture of your grandparents or your parents or whatever. And you're like, Oh my gosh, look at those silly glasses they're wearing or, or look at the, look at the crazy collars they have on those shirts. Right. So there's just kind of, it, you kind of laugh maybe at, at the nostalgia of how they looked, whether it looks cool or silly. And that, again, that's kind of subjective to the viewer or the listener. So I guess what I'm, my, what I'm getting at is I am in the middle of all of that, right? So I'm, uh, I'm 43. So I was born in 1977, January 1977. So, so this is the music that was basically much of the music that was on the radio when I was born up until I was a little kid. So um, some of this music I came to know as an adult. Um, some of it I came, some of it I grew up hearing on the radio, right? Mm-hmm. So I, to, I guess to, to answer your question, like I see how it can be silly and kitschy and funny. And we, we do play into that, but we take playing the music as close to the original recording as possible very seriously. And I, I think the success of the band is because, as I, I like to say, we take fun very seriously, <laughs> right. and and I've surrounded myself with some, you know, I I think truly world class musicians, and, and I don't know, I guess I love those sounds. I love the whole sonic palette that is that music that was created in that time that we now know as, you know, it has been coined yacht rock. Mm-hmm. Um, was a lot of confusion from a lot of people of what is yacht rock and what is not. Yeah, but the guys who invented it uh, <laughs> uh, have a website called yachtornot.com, and not <laughs> and not is spelled like yacht with an n. In right, N A C H T. That's great. Yeah, and there's a lot of songs on there, but if they're below a 50 percent rating, they're technically not yacht rock. So technically, kind of by accident, uh, we played some Hall and Oates songs and some Linda Ronstadt songs that are not right, right. <laughs> Anyway, there's so some, there's some wiggle room in there, but, but to your point, like, you know, the, I think the music, uh, the music in the era is inherently kitschy and that kitschiness is, you know, played up and, and sort of caricatured, um, yeah. by, by bands that play it today. But underneath that kitschiness is some amazing playing, some amazing it's production. Insane. It, insane. Yeah. Yeah. It, and- and that's the whole thing. Like I, Greg uh, LaFollette, one of my bandmates pointed out the other night that I was saying, uh, 
on stage, I said a couple times between songs, you know, I, I'm kind of, there's seven people in the band, but for some dumb reason, I'm kind of the MC a little bit, you know, uh-huh. um, from behind the drums. He said a couple times, like, we're doing it, like, to the audience, you know, between songs, which is kind of, he said, you keep saying that. And I was like, well, it's kind of what I said after the first show, because it was like, I can't believe we made it. Because it's, <laughs> it's so hard. And you know, this is the first show back in April of 2009. So I've said before that those songs are like, from a rhythm section standpoint, it's basically R&B. Mm-hmm. Um, R&B, uh, a lot of times slow jams, crazy shuffles very sophisticated stuff. Um, and then you've got basically these beds of amazing Crosby stills and Nash ain't nothing compared to these beds of vocal harmonies. Um, and then, uh, uh, and then like, you know, these insane chord structures. So Mm -hmm. it's like really, um for as quote unquote smooth as that music is it's really very complicated and sophisticated music but doesn't sound complicated like you know prog rock is complicated right know? right um, it it fits yeah. together it fits together so seamlessly that it it sort of belies um how much went into it as far as the playing yeah. and the production and and all that yeah. Yeah. No. So it, you know, it's, I mean, I could go on and on about yacht rock cause I'm an, I'm a nerd about it and I love the music and you know, we've, we've invested a lot of time in doing it and, and feel 11 years later having still being tired from playing a really hard show the other night, like um, more energized by it than ever, but 100% everybody in the band can say and has said it many times. And I definitely agree for myself personally as a drummer that it's made us better by doing it you know i played in the played a bunch of led zeppelin tribute shows and things like that because led zeppelin's my favorite band i just wanted to do bonzo justice <laughs> i feel like I did bonzo justice i'm not bonzo but i feel like i did him justice and i can play a lot of that stuff or whatever and it's more about kind of getting in the right vibe you know right and um, finding the right energy um but that's what it is yeah, yeah i i found that playing playing in yacht rock bands has forced me to like kind of grow up <laughs> you know in a way yeah. Um, Big time. it requires like really a, a lot of restraint, first of all, um, yes. a lot of discipline, just a lot of sort of, um, you know, more mature aspects of playing that, uh, um, yeah. that you don't really have to achieve in, in other styles. Yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. When, when we first started playing that band, um, I played really, really quietly mm. and uh, in retrospect, some of the things were easier to play that way. Um, some of the things I now know are, uh, a little easier to play when I lay into it a little more, mm-hmm. you know, and, um, you know, I've grown up playing really hard, but then also playing really quiet and, you know, like, you know, the jazz, you know, a rock kid and then a jazz guy in high school and college, and then joining a big loud rock band and kind of back and forth. So, um, you know, I was trying to play quiet cause we were playing a little club. Uh, there's, I'm, I'm feet away from six live vocal microphones and right. it's like, I need to, <laughs> I need to, the, I need to have the song feel right without overpowering the, the special sauce that is the thing people are actually singing along to, right. you know? Um, so no, it, it's definitely, yeah, there's definitely a maturity to the music as fun as it can be. And yeah, I mean, it's, it's great. You know, like I said, it's, it's, I mean, Rosanna, <laughs> 
you know, one of the probably the most for drummers famous drum parts of all time, you know, um, all, all the, all the Percaro stuff is still hard. Yeah. And I, I've played it hundreds of times, you know, in front of audiences that are paying to <laughs> hear us do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I can play it again. I'm not him. No one is, but you know, it's, it's still hard. I mean, Rosanna to like play that stuff correctly to play friggin' at tempo. I keep forgetting by Michael McDonald, mm-hmm. you know, and I, I, I could be wrong, but I'm 99.9% sure that's Picaro on, on drums on that song. Um, I mean, it's Le- hard. Dude. Lido shuffle kicks my ass every time. Come on. Come on. Exactly. <laughs> that, song, that drumming and that song, the drums on that are just weird. Yeah. It is. It's like, Oh, it's shuffle. But then like, yeah, but then like, oh, it's just so. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Well, cool, man. I'm I'm glad that band is still going, and and I'm glad you're still kicking its ass. Because, like you said, there's just you know there's uh there's no shortage of stuff stuff to learn behind the kit, and just ways to get better through that music. You know, it'll take you through so many of the skills that you need for um, a lot of other kinds of gigs. It yeah, it really it really. Yes, 100%. And and uh, it's definitely made me a better player. The snare drum of the week is the 7.5 by 13 buyer snare drum performed by Nashville session drummer Mark Beckett. You know, I, I went from like hustle, 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 hustle to make a living as a musician to then getting a different job and playing music less and less and less and less. And that was okay. To then realizing, well, there's a fine line that I'm on the other side of. And me playing music is part of, I wanted it to be part of my identity so much when I was a kid that it became that. And I realize now as a man in my forties that I never needed to try to get people to know that it was part of my identity because it always was, mm-hmm. always will be whether I like it or not. And that doesn't mean like, Oh, you were the drummer in this band and played on this record that I love. No, it's not about that. It's just that, you know, people make art in any medium until they die because it's part of who they are. Mm-hmm. And so for me these days, part of healthcare, not sick care, healthcare, being a healthy, well-balanced person, my, my doctor has talked to me about this. He's a painter, um, is making music. And so Summer Breeze, our yacht rock band, um, gets to the core of, for me, why I started playing in music, playing music in the first place. It was a connecting point. Yeah. Friend. It was a thing that I enjoyed listening to by myself. Well, what's even more fun than that? Talking to my friend Trent about, how much we both love this Def Leppard record in sixth grade. Okay. (laughs) What was the ultimate extension of that? Trying to recreate those sounds as 11 year old boys. Okay. Well then what was the ultimate, ultimate extension of that? Recreating those sounds where there were people in the room watching us. Right. That's what it is all about is just making music in a room with your friends. And if you're lucky, you have a few of your other friends there to watch you and listen to you do it. That is, why we got into the racket to begin with. And that, it just cuts down to that to me. 
like I just need more of that in my life, yeah. you know, um, on the regular, you know, right. I, I don't want to on the road and be away from my wife and kids for long periods of time. But, you know, I got out of town two weeks ago. Un, this hasn't happened since I moved away from Nashville, but I got, I went to Nashville. I was there for, for basically two days just to play on a friend's record. I saw that. Was, oh, it was just good for my heart. Yeah. And it was just wonderful. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. Um, so I want to get into, um, you know, sort of the, the, the dual track that your career has been on. Um, but just to, to get to your background a little bit, um, was it, how, how long ago was it that you lost your leg? Like 15 years ago? 15. Yeah. Two, uh, 2005. Right. Yeah. So, so you were, you were diagnosed with Ewing sarcoma and that led to your left leg being amputated above the knee. Yeah. Three inches above the knee. Gotcha. Um, so for those, I mean, you've told this story a bazillion times. Um, and <laughs> one of them was, was to me uh, years ago when I wrote an article about you. Um, yeah. but talk a little bit about right. like, you, you talk about music being part of your identity and, um, you know, is it, is it how you make your living? Is it, you know, how does it fit into your life? Um, if, if something like that happened to me, I, I don't know if, um, I would have, uh, you know, determination to continue to make music a part of my life, or if I would, um, have severe doubt and start looking around at like, what else can I do? What else do I want to do? Is this going to be too painful to try and still make happen? Um, which, which way did you go when this happened to you? Yeah. Well, you know, I had the benefit, I guess, of, uh, preparing for it hmm. you know um when i first met winona judd and i can that may be a seem like a random name to just drop <laughs> but when i first met you know her her husband lost his leg in a motorcycle accident cactus Mosier, right cactus Mosier, who's one of my favorite people on earth and a truly brilliant um drummer and multi-instrumentalist and singer and songwriter and man uh who i love with all my heart but um, when I, and, and he's on steps of face board of directors. And, mm -hmm. um, when I met Winona, she was like, how would you deal with that? Like, since you had, you know, cactuses was so sudden. And then there was that, you know, it's like, I can't imagine. And I said, well, I had time to prepare, you know, it was mm -hmm. like, she thought like that would be a bad thing. It's like, well, that was a good thing, you know? So, so when I was diagnosed, we wrote actually before the procedure that ultimately led to me being diagnosed, the biopsy, which is surgery, surgical biopsy to take part of this thing in my leg, in my leg out, see what it was. You know, the, the doctor had gone through all of the things that it could be based on what they knew at that point. Mm -hmm. And the, the, you know, if it, it could be this and if it's this, we'll do this could be this. If it's this, we'll do this. And the last reason you would uh, lose the leg would be to save your life. So I knew that it was a possibility that I didn't talk about much, you know, from whatever, uh, February of 2005 up until July of 2005, the end of July of 2005, when I, um, got the news, that's what needed to happen, you know, and then ultimately August 4th, 05 was the date. So you that's know, my I birthday. Have we talked about that? I don't think so. Wow. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Weird. Well, mine too. In a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, Oh, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> So, 
Yeah, dude. I, I think that, um, I, I guess to answer your question, um, you know, I think that I just kind of had then, and I always kind of have a, what do we got to do to, what do we got to do to get through this kind of thing, mm-hmm. you know? And I've always had a really intense fire for music and, um, just to, to consume it and to play it and all the things we talked about, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, I had a brand new band at the time that had more promise to actually like do the things we all dream about doing as musicians that aspire to do it for a living. Um, that band had more promise to do that than any band I'd been in up to that point. And thankfully we did a lot of those things even after I lost the leg, but yeah, I just, I just, I, I don't know. I just was, I've always been a really hopeful person and I had a great network of friends and family and, um, you know, some, some really serious kind of spiritual faith things that happened to me in that year. Um, and so, yeah, you know, I, I, I had time to think about it and I just was like, I kind of understood the mechanics of how I thought it might work. And, um, cause from yeah. the outside, like from the outside, it, it seems like there, um, it was, it was full speed ahead. Like from the minute you lost your leg, it was like, okay, I got to do a bunch of chemo. You did like 13 rounds of chemo or something. And I did 13 rounds of chemo and the surgery was in the middle of all of that. Oh, good God. And then, and then a bunch of, uh, rehab. Um, and then you get the, the, did you have the E-leg at that time? The prosthetic leg? So, yeah, um, that, that came a little later. Um, I got, uh, yeah. So the chemo started like in, in, uh, I I can't remember exactly late February or early March. It was like around St. Patrick's day. And so then, and that, that, you know, that would be a week on two weeks off, that kind of thing. Then we took a break in the summer for like two weeks before the surgery, then had the surgery. And then two weeks after the surgery, to kind of recover and then started chemo again. And that really sucked. Um, that, uh, you know, no leg and chemo, but that I'm glad it happened. I'm glad it's over, but I'm glad it happened. Right. And so, um, but when I lost, after I lost the leg, I think when I got out of the hospital that week, I was back, I went to my rehearsal space. Um, at that point, my, my band that I was in Blackpool lights, which was the band I said that went on to, you know, do, had promised to do cool things and ultimately did do cool things. Uh, in my opinion, you know, I, we were rehearsing in a, in a storage Mart that was like, um, off like, uh, you know, 39th and, uh, it was at Southwest traffic way here in Kansas city. Yeah. I know uh, where that is. Yeah. That was yeah. There was a bunch of bands that rehearsed there in the time during that time. And so, yeah, I went there and, and, uh, on crutches and just went in there and started playing. And, and I also had a kit set up in my apartment. I lived on the Plaza country club Plaza here in Kansas city at the time. And I had a, I had my little Gretsch kit set up with sound off pads. Mm-hmm. So um, I just started trying to, you know, I had been playing basically, and then try to figure out how to how to do it. And then after I, and then eventually I was healed up enough to start trying to work with a prosthetic leg that was a very basic hydraulic leg. And then I went like the day or a couple of days after I got it. Then I went to the, that's when I went to the storage mart actually, because um, I was playing drums in my apartment. Then it was like, well, how do I now? now that I have this leg attached to my body, how do I make my body with this new part, make the hi-hat work, you know? And so I just had to figure that out. Right. And I, I guess that's kind of like a, a, an example of, of what I'm wondering about, you know, about myself, if that would happen to me, because like the first time you sit down at your drums with your prosthetic leg, 
you know, was that, was that an inspiring experience? Was that a frustrating experience? Like, I have no idea which way it would go for me. It would, it would be like, oh my God, I can do this. This is awesome. Or like, holy shit, I just, I can't, I don't know how I'm going to do this. <laughs> it was, it was in the middle. It was in the middle. You know what I mean? Like, even if you had no control, even if the hi-hat was a fixed thing, just think about that. Right. You know, it's like, it just is a, it's either open or closed and that's it. And you hit it with your hands and that's it. Right. Right. You could still sit down and play a beat, sure. you know, convincingly. So, and I could do that, but manipulating the hi-hat in the ways as drummers, we know how to do that. That was the challenge. Um, and so it's not, not important, but uh, you know, I, I said all along back then, if there was a limb to go, this was as a drummer, this uh, is a right-handed drummer. This is the one, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so, so no, it was frustrating. And, um, but, but I, you know, I, I repositioned my body a little bit differently. Um, when I went to that practice space at the storage market for the first time, I went with my stepdad and his dad, my step grandpa, who's, who's since passed away, who was a really brilliant man. And, and, um, uh, because I had envisioned and I happened to be talking to him about this, worrying about my, since the legs amputated above the knee, worrying about while playing my foot coming off of the hi-hat pedal and then not being able to get it back on without using my hands and disrupting my playing to do it. Right. You know? Right. I'm picturing not just playing at the house. I'm picturing being on tour, playing in front of an audience, which I was doing shortly thereafter. So what he did is he took, um, he took my hi hat and basically built a box on top of the pedal. Oh, right. So right. I remember you telling me about that. In, yeah, I still have it. I don't use it anymore, yeah. but I still have it. So my foot would stay in there like a stirrup, yeah. you know? Um, so I just wouldn't have to worry about that. These days, there's a little bit of a kind of a sixth sense to it. You know, I kind of, you know, I, I've gone through a few different hi-hats since then. And, you know, there's, I just, I, I just feel it, you know? Right. So, um, you know, and I, I, I sit a little differently and I, you know, adjust the hi-hat a little differently, but, um yeah, you know, I mean, I, I'm not doing, you know, my backbeat two and four. I'm not doing bebop gigs, you right. know. <laughs> and, uh, and so that would be interesting to see if I, I think I could because I, but it would be kind of a new challenge, you know, where there's that much relying on, yeah, on on it. Um, well, I but, was going to ask, like on on say the yacht rock gig. Um, or mm -hmm. just kind of the average, you know, rock band playing that you had been doing, you know, it's, it's been 15 years. You've, you've obviously, uh, done tons of practicing and adapting. You've gone through a few different legs. So at this point, um, like, how do you feel, how do you feel about your left leg, left foot ability compared to, uh, when you actually had it? Hmm. That's a good question. Uh, I don't feel very limited. Yeah. Um, like I, I'm not, not doing jazz gigs because I lost my leg. Right. I just, you know what I mean? Yeah. I just haven't been doing those. Those aren't, you know, I was a KU studying jazz for, for one year and, and at semester I joined a big loud rock and roll band that, you know, was part of the Lawrence, Kansas is the next Seattle wave of major label signings in the nineties. Right. So that I kind of have been on, you know, I guess just not on the jazz path ever since then. So, 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 um, 
you know, I remember as I'm bouncing my right leg right now on the, the, you know, the ball of my foot, just even sitting here. I mean, I remember what the muscle memory felt like of, of playing really burning swing beats where it's just all two or four with the, you know, with my left leg. But, um, all that to say there haven't been things where I'm like, well, that's just compromised because of it. I mean, controlling it, if I'm doing even something as simple as, um, if we're, you know, we are talking about drums, right. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, uh, use me, Mm -hmm. their song, James, you know, things like that. And, and really he's actually, if you listen to that, he's barely opening a hi-hat on it. Barely. He's really, he's, he's really just more accenting it with his hand versus, doing the open close choke or what go go ray calls is a hi-hat bark i think it really calls <laughs> i like that um, <laughs> um, i don't even know what a technical name would be for that i like um, bark i'm going with go go yeah yeah anyway so you know what i mean like i guess that's a little harder but like um but you can do I, it i can do it yeah. you know I don't, I don't i don't ever think of like man this was easier before i'm just kind of like oh, okay well how do i make this you know how, how do i get this you know if i'm if i'm playing and it's all, again, it's all how I sit and adjust the hi-hat. It's like right. if there's things where I want to do this certain thing with a hi-hat and it feels a little harder, it's like I just know how to, depending on which hi-hat I'm using, maybe, you know, uh, have the top symbol on higher up on the post, you know, they're just naturally open a little more right. so that it's easier to, you know, there's less work to get it open because that's coming, that motion's coming from my hip. Right, right. It's not coming from my foot or my ankle or even my knee. That motion's coming from my hip. Which so, is what we're told not to do and which is what I had to like rehabilitate myself not to do because my hip was like having cramps and shit. <laughs> yeah, because you're, yeah, you're doing this. And in the early days, I was doing that. You're real herky-jerky back and forth. Right, you know? right. To do it to where I'm still just sitting up straight and I just adjust it a little differently. And, you know, my center of gravity is, you know, it's just it's just different. Yeah. I'll, you bet your, I'll bet your core is uh, ship-shaped there, man. <laughs> I could, underneath the, the dad tummy. It is. <laughs> there are bridges burning in my chest. Friends I thought I'd known have been laid to rest. Blackbirds are landing on the shoulders of the dead. I'm so sick of the state I'm in. Gotta get back to nothing but the skin. I want to talk about two more things with you, and one is obviously Steps of Faith. Um, but the other, they're, they're kind of parallel. The other is, is your, your, your kind of journey from Kansas city to Nashville and then back to Kansas city, because you, you went on this journey around the same time that I went on my little journey from Kansas city to LA, um, and then ultimately to Atlanta. Um, and it was kind of the thing that, that, I mean, we knew, of each other, but it was kind of the thing that actually connected us as kind of our own friendship. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like I think Jeff friendship. Harshbarger like told me to call you like, cause I, I was getting ready to move to LA and you would either just move to Nashville or you were getting ready to. And he was like, man, you done. should, you should hit up Billy and just like, you should, you two should talk and figure out what you're going to do <laughs> and help each other. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. And I was here in town, uh, living in Nashville. I remember I was here in town visiting and we met at like uh, Broadway cafe. Yeah. 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 Um, so I feel like 
you know, there were obviously uh, many ins and outs and many things that were different about my experience in L.A. versus your experience in Nashville. But if you pull back from it, I I feel like we both kind of like went out there and, you know, to 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 see what we could do. And we we did some stuff and and ultimately for a variety of reasons decided that that was not the place for us. And mm-hmm. and moved on me to Atlanta and and you back home to Kansas City, um, so just talk a little bit about kind of you know what what drew you to Nashville, um, and and what ultimately made you decide that like I want to be back home. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing that drew me there was um, I had left that band Blackpool Lights. So um, uh, in two thousand seven, you know, we did a lot of the cool things that I talked about wanting to do, making a record that I'm still the most proud of that album more than anything else uh, to this day. And I've made a lot of records since then. And, you know, we had a record out in Japan and went and played Japan and, you know, did, did things I'm really proud of. So, um, but I'd left the band for a lot of reasons. Um, We even reunited years later. So no, no bad blood there. Um, And, uh, and actually the singer and songwriter of the band, uh, he's not here today, but Jim Septic, who's also in the Get Up Kids, usually sits right next to me. Oh, cool. And his day is where he's our operations coordinator at Steps of Faith. So it's, you know, make friends and keep them, you know? Yeah. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah, it was kind of this thing where I started doing all this stuff in Kansas City that, that was really great. I, I'd always been this rock and roll monogamist. You know, I was in like a full time rock band. Right. And I was on tour all the time. And maybe I'd play with another band, you know, when I was in this power pop band, the creature comforts, there was also a period of time where I also played for like a year with this band, the string and return. It's still around here in Kansas city, things like that. But I always loved the idea. I remember Pete Donnelly, who's a friend of mine that is an incredible musician uh, in Philadelphia. And he plays in a band called the figs F I G G S, which is one of my favorite bands of all time. And um, the best live band, um, I've ever seen. Hmm. And uh, I'd done some touring with them, with the creature comforts. And um, I remember he said, you know, when he was off the road, he played with all these other people like, you know, right. Things were a full time thing, but he didn't go 10 bar or work retail. Like I did. He played with other people. It was like, I was like, Oh man, that would be awesome. He's like, yeah, it's awesome. It's fun. And it makes you better. And then when you go to your true passion of your full-time band, you know, you're even better, you know, anyway. Um, so I was playing with all these people in Kansas city doing more and more stuff, playing with lots of folks. I loved it, recording, playing live, and just hitting our head on the ceiling. And, all you know, when I was seeing either a lot of the artists that would it be great if I could play with this guy kind of thing and some of the drummers that were playing with those guys, I just – that was all happening in Nashville. And it was my wife's idea. What if we moved to Nashville in a year or whatever? Hmm. And uh, anyway, long story short, we did. I just kind of moved there for greener pastures and for more opportunities to make a living as a musician. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a amazing music and culture in Kansas city. And I will preach that from the mountaintops forever. Cause it's true. And all me too. Happened. Yeah. You know, but, but like Atlanta or LA or New York, there are just more opportunities to make money playing music yep. in those cities. And it was simply that yep. it was simply that. Now, I specifically wanted to start a family and in a perfect world, work the nine to five in the studio in Nashville. Um, some weeks that happened there. Right. <laughs> you know? Right. 
but originally that's why I moved out there was, was to, you know, I just wanted more opportunities to, I wanted to just do that. I didn't want to have to do what I was doing at the time, which was playing music with a bunch of people, but then also working like part-time at my church or whatever. Right. Right. Um, And this, this tracks, uh, perfectly with, with my experience. It was like, as much as I love Kansas city, as much as I love the people I was playing and the music I was playing, um, uh, you know, I was, I was like, had a part-time landscaping job and I looked at a place like LA and it was like, man, there looks like there's a shitload of money there and a shitload of gigs. Right. <laughs> and you're right. But yeah. And, and so, so yeah, that, that was the impetus for moving out there. And so, you know, we were right to move there. Uh, and it was hard. And so, th- so then I guess the, would the, would the next question be, how did it go? Or is the next question, why did we then move back to Kansas city? Well, I think, uh, you know, not, not to, um, blaze through it too quickly, but my impression of it is that it went, it went fine. Like you did fine in Nashville. I did fine in LA, you know, we didn't crash and burn. We didn't starve. We didn't become rock stars, but we, we, we made livings playing drums. Right. Um, and then, so, so what brought you to the point, um, where you just decided like this, this is not the place for me. Yeah. The, it was a handful of things, but ultimately the plan kind of changed. So Nashville's great. Um, and our lives changed for the better there. You know, we, we great friends. Uh, my wife and I both got, you know, both our children are born there and we both got jobs that we didn't know even were jobs that you could have um, that were kind of made for each of us. Um, because in we, Nashville is where you started Steps of Faith, right? Yeah, yeah, it was kind of a, yes. So, so um, you know, it was this thing that descended from the sky into my lap from meeting the guy who owned the prosthetic place where I was a patient. He had established the 501c3, which is the tax, which is the thing that makes a nonprofit a nonprofit, right. um, a tax-deductible organization uh, that the IRS grants you. And so he had established the 501c3 a few years earlier, but it was like a dormant thing, you know? And so, um, so he is technically the founder, but it wasn't doing anything. So, uh, you know, more to the story than this, which maybe that's the next question, but yeah, it started there. Um, so, so it was kind of, really, it was a thing where we never loved living in Nashville. I would say there are things about, we, we loved things about Nashville. Um, I would say we maybe even loved Nashville. We just did not love living there. Mm -hmm. And especially as, you know, you throw a couple kids in the mix, you know, our first baby was born. And then I was like, immediately he was six weeks early and it was, he was fine, but it was scary. And it's your first kid. And oh my gosh. And uh, my wife was a teacher. There's no paid maternity in Tennessee. She's a singer as well, but she Mm -hmm. wasn't pursuing professionally much. You know, she was a little bit. Um, um, And so, you know, it, I immediately was looking for another job and, and then that, again, then steps of faith came into the picture at the perfect time. And so then as I kind of started to figure that out, you know, even then the next year, like a basically, uh, um, around the year anniversary of getting the job, you know, we have this little baby, uh, who's a little over a year old at that point. And then I did tour. I went on a tour with the blessing of my board of directors, um, with an artist named Katie Herzig, who's brilliant and beautiful and, and amazing uh, uh, beautiful in every way. And, um, uh, H E R Z I G Katie Herzig. Everybody should check her out. Cause she's incredible. Cool. Uh, but, uh, I toured with her in 2012. That was amazing. 
you know, did all this cool stuff. So I guess what it was is like that tour with Katie in, in 2014 was miserable for me. And it was even on a bus instead of a van, most of it. Um, and it was miserable for a lot of reasons. And I think mainly because my life had just changed and my heart had changed. And, you know, it's hard enough being away from, from your woman, you know, yeah. uh, even if you're out having fun playing music, but, um, I really miss my wife, but I, I, you know, having this little baby boy, I, I just, I hated it. Mm-hmm. I hated it. The great things that came from that tour. But the greatest thing was realizing that like, I don't want to do this like this anymore. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, man, I, I guess, uh, um, uh, the, the main thing I would say, sorry, texting, the main thing I would say is our hearts just changed. Our lives changed. Our circumstances changed. Steps of faith started. Um, and I, I tried to tour and that didn't work and I didn't want to do that. So I was playing music less and less. I kind of needed, I started to, the phone wasn't ringing off the hook by any means anyway, but the, when the, the gigs were coming less and less and they become even less when you just eventually have to say no over and over. Right. Um, and uh, I was focused on trying to build this nonprofit and be a dad and a husband. And Nashville was growing and growing and growing. And Nashville's laid out really terribly, the roads. And so um, it just felt more and more oppressive to live there. Mm-hmm. And all of this great stuff was happening in Kansas City. We got through the recession. The Royals were winning the World Series. And all these beautiful things were happening. <laughs> we're raising more money in Kansas City for Steps of Faith than Nashville. And I was like... Um, why, why are we doing this? So yeah, our hearts changed. Ultimately we were right to move to Nashville and I kind of feel like we got what we were sent there to get. And then it was time to come back here. Yeah. And that was a little over four years ago. Yeah. Well, like I said, I, I resonate so strongly with that. And, and one of the things we've talked about on the podcast so much is finding a place, um, you know, like, first of all, figuring out how music is going to fit into your life. Right. And, and for a lot of us, that's playing music full time, but, but not for all of us. And then second of all, um, you know, finding a place in the world that, um, helps you live the kind of life you want to live. And, you know, part of you, like the, you know, the 15 year old modern drummer part of your brain, uh, feels compelled to go to New York or Nashville or LA Um, but at a certain point, some of us realize that like, like you said, I don't really like living here, (laughs) you know, as many opportunities as there may be as, as, as many amazing musicians and experiences it may have to offer. Um, you know, if you don't like where you live, if you don't feel good there, if you don't feel comfortable there, then that's going to affect you in a lot of bad ways. Like you're not going to be happy. Um, and I remember like, Towards the end of our time in LA, we were trying to find a two bedroom place. Like we were in a one bedroom apartment and we were trying to find any place that wasn't in the Valley that that had one extra bedroom, just like 80 extra square feet. Um, and we couldn't, we couldn't find it for a price we could afford. Um, and we got out to Atlanta and it was like, oh, we have like three bedrooms and a front yard and a backyard and okay, great. Awesome. Um, so yeah, like I, I totally resonate with that. Like we were, you know, we were right to go. I was right to go. I learned a ton. It made me better. Um, and I think like you, it taught you a lot about, um, you know, what you're not and what you don't want and what you don't care about. Um, and, and focus, uh, focus more on the things that you do want and that you do value. Yeah, that's right. 
Yeah. I mean, it's like how we spend our time and who we spend it with and that kind of thing. And, you know, um, yeah, I mean, in, 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 you know, the one big kind of like a commercial audition I had, I use this as an example, but, um, uh, when I was out there as I auditioned, and this was, I don't even remember the year, probably, uh, 2010 or 11, maybe. I don't remember. It was right before Christmas. I auditioned for Little Big Town, mm-hmm. you know, a pop country band. Yeah. And it was like, and this isn't about them. This isn't me talking crap on them, but um, it was like one of the worst experiences of my time in Nashville, just even that audition. <laughs> and I've auditioned for cool bands that it's been like, that was rad. I didn't get the gig, but like, I'm in touch with that person. And that right. was great. You know, my friend, my, uh, Mike Alexander auditioned for the Saturday night live band as a guitar player. Um, I did help make that happen. I am patting myself on the back. Freaking <laughs> badass world class guitar player, but he's like still in touch with Lenny Pickett. He didn't get the gig. Right. You know what I mean? So, um, but, uh, you know, no one from Little Big Town had my phone number. We'll put it that way. You right, know? right. Um, uh, Chris McHugh ran the audition, who's an incredible drummer. Um, why he ran the audition was weird. It just was weird. And yeah. it just was like, and, and, and the things that he ultimately was getting at was like throwing me around to see if I could handle this certain kind of thing. I don't think it was masochistic. I don't think it was wrong. It's just like not my cup of tea right like i was of course i'm quote unquote good enough to be in that band right you know what i mean most people are and that's no disrespect to little big town they're cool like yeah. that band's cool right you know but it just was like ultimately there were so many things there like i just think a lot about what my life would have been like if i would have got that job at that time and then the things that i would not have been able to do that ultimately came up that just, I just enjoyed more, mm-hmm. you know? And that mean, that mean more to you. They're more important to you. Of course. Yeah. Of course. You know, it's like, no, play the beat simpler. I'm just like, you know, and I, I, I no thanks. I mean, that wasn't a note, but uh, that he gave me, <laughs> but, you know, and it's no, and I wasn't mad at McHugh or any, again, I'm not, I wasn't upset with anybody in little big. I know. I know exactly what you're saying. Like you got put in this environment that, that like it wasn't a, a bad or toxic environment. Nobody in that room was a dick, but it was just, it was just one of those things where you were like this, I'm not cut out for this. This is not what I want to, this is not. Yeah. 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 And it wasn't that I wasn't cut out for it as a musician. Right. You know Right. And, And I know how to play to a click. I know I've played arenas. I know how to do all of those things. It's not that. It just is like that. This is this is a very bizarre world that yeah. I don't care to be in. You mm-hmm. know. Uh, uh, and then on the flip side, I was playing with, um, you know, I don't know, a year later or whatever. Um, I met her through Katie Herzig, one of Katie's best friends, is an incredible uh, artist and woman and Renaissance woman who does a lot of things all very well. Ruby Amanfu. And um, Ruby doesn't work a ton as an artist from my point of view these days, but um, she was having a little go at the time. Uh, she should work more as an artist because she's brilliant and incredible singer. But um, I did we did this string of shows with Ruby Amanfu and like, you know, Ruby had worked with Jack White. And so a lot of her band was like, jack's guys then they'd become buds and 
uh, my favorite bass player in the world. I've got a lot of them, but uh, the top of the list is Dominic Davis, who grew up with Jack mm-hmm. and uh, I met through playing with Ruby. And he's a great friend to this day and um, lives in Nashville, Detroit guy. But like, I remember we were in rehearsal and we were going through a song like the second or third time. And I was like, okay, cool. Let me just check the tempo one more time, you know, because I had the tempos written down and I was checking my little click, you know. And then as I leaned over to look at my click, you know, whatever my click app or whatever I had on my phone, um, I looked and, and Dominic, I, I caught Dominic, uh, uh, caught my eye. And he was like, hey, man, you're fine. <laughs> you know, and I was like, and then I looked at, I was like, oh, okay. And I looked at Ruby. She's like, like, you're, you don't even mess with that. Right. You know, and I was like, these are my people. Yeah. <laughs> me, that's normal. You right. know what I mean? It's like, my time is good. I have a good internal meter as a drummer. Mm-hmm. It is the meter of a human being, which means it's not a click track or a metronome. And that's a good thing. Yeah. Freaking heartbeat changes. Mm-hmm. Right. It speeds up and slows down. Yeah. Music, to some extent, should do the same thing. So that felt, even though we were very much hired by Ruby, Ruby was the artist, that kind of thing, it just was more my flavor to just compare and contrast. And I may be belaboring the point, but it was like, you're right. It's like the kind of life you want to live and the kind of people you want to spend your time with, especially if you're working as a musician, you're spending more time with those people just doing the mundane things than actually the exhilarating things of playing on stage. And ultimately that was my favorite gig that I did in Nashville. And that's no disrespect to all of the people that I played with more than Ruby. Mm-hmm. And Katie introduced me to Ruby. I love Katie. Katie changed my life in Nashville. But the five gigs I played with Ruby and Monfu were the things that suited me the best in every way. Right. You know? Right. They really were. You know? And that's that's so, what it's about. It's it's about finding finding things that suit you, whether it's the people you play with or the place that you live. Um, or the, the, um, the space that music takes up in your life, right? The more you know about yourself, the more likely you are to find, you know, uh, places for those things that suit you and that serve you. Um, and I know what you mean about like, you know, some, some bands and some products are, you know, tightly controlled environments and, and, um, you know, meticulously orchestrated, Um, and, and that's a challenge unto itself and, and it's a, it's a worthy challenge to rise to. Um, but, uh, I, I know exactly what you mean about like, just, let's just play. We're people in a room. We can all play. Let's just play. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That's it. Again, that's why we, that's what we did. Right. Mm -hmm. It's you're excited hearing the records that lit the fire when you're a kid. You get more excited when you get the first instrument and, and you get to call your friend, you know, I, I had a snare drum only and was in a band with my friend, Trent Ayler, who was a really good guitar, who still is a really good guitar player. It was a really good guitar player at a really young age um, before I had a drum set, you know, and I got my drum set for Christmas. And the first call I made was to Trent to tell him I got a drum set, Cool, you know, and it's like, you know, I mean, that's what you want to do. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a shared experience. You know, it's just about making music with your friends, you know. The last thing I wanted to talk about was Steps of Faith, which is is kind of like the, you know, the path that you've been on for the last, I don't know, six, six, seven years, something like that. 
about seven and a half years. Yeah, yeah. So um, it's 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 a great example of um, a few people we've talked to how you know music and drums um, uh, you know dominated their life up to a certain point, uh, and then um, you know something something happened that shifted the focus from drums. Um, but they still it, like they didn't they didn't um, uh, you know jettison drums from their identity. They incorporated other things into their identity and into their living. And I think you're a great example of that. So so talk about um, kind of the I mean steps of faith is a it's a it's a foundation that that helps amputees get uh, prosthetics. But that's an oversimplification of what you do. Um, yeah. But you uh, I think you're you're kind of unique among those sorts of organizations in how much you partner with musicians and the arts and your, um, you know, the artistic community in, in the places you live, whether it's Nashville or Kansas city. Um, so yeah, just talk a little bit about steps of faith and, and how it's kind of, um, it's not separate from, uh, the, the music life that you were leading before, but kind of fused with it. Yeah. That, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. It, it, and that just kind of comes from these are the things that are the most natural to me, you know? So, so as I started to say earlier, you know, the, the guy who owned the prosthetic place where I was a patient, um, uh, Rob Pittman, you know, changed my life more than most people. And, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a long story, but I mean, the gist of it was basically, I was, um, he and I met after I had spoken to uh, another patient at the clinic that my prosthetic guy asked me to speak to who had lost his leg to cancer, was being fit for a new prosthetic leg. And, uh, and he was like, would you go in and talk to this guy on your way out of your appointment? Um, I think it'd be cool for him to see you on the other side of this, you know, several years into that. And I was like, man, I would love to do that. I feel like that's why this happened to me. I never get to have those conversations. I had the conversation, left that, you know, talked to him for five minutes and left you know, just thanking God that I was able to kind of quote unquote, speak that language to this guy. It's not, I can't, I can only imagine what you're going through. It's like, I know exactly what you're going through. And I'm here to tell you that it's going to get easier, you know? And, um, went home to my wife and our brand new baby at the time. And I said, man, I just wish that that could be my job. Hmm. And so, um, I had another appointment the next day. I told my prosthetist that then he introduced me to Rob. Um, and long story short, uh, he was like, I've been trying to get this nonprofit off the ground for four years. Um, you know, and at that point, uh, it's like, he tossed me the keys to a car with no engine in it, you know, and, so, <laughs> and uh, you know, um, uh, seven and a half years later, you know, um, even in the midst of a global pandemic, when donations are down, um, my foot, there is very much an engine in that car. Uh, now there's people in the car with me. And uh, uh, my foot is firmly on the gas and not letting up anytime soon because there are people that need our help. And yeah, Steps of Faith helps amputees get prosthetics that need them. Specifically, um, what we do is uh, we provide prosthetic limbs to amputees that have um, no health insurance Mm -hmm. or um, no prosthetic coverage. Um, Medicaid in a lot of states, in, uh, in a handful of states in America, does not cover prosthetic care if you're an adult. Um, uh, Texas is one of those states, for instance, we help a ton of people in Texas because yeah. of that. We also help a ton of people in Georgia, by the way, uh, tons of people in Atlanta. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, it is crazy. So yeah, to, to answer your question, 
So yeah, I mean, that's what Steps of Faith does. And and yeah, kind of, you know, I said this before, you know, no disrespect to traditional fundraising methods of golf tournaments, galas, and 5Ks. You know, people do those all the time to raise money and they should keep doing that. I don't know how to do those things. Right. You know what I mean? So, but I knew how to put on a concert and a comedy show because I grew up doing it. So especially when I'm able to, you know, partner with, you know, I, I say when he and I work together, I, he makes me feel like a wonder twin power, you know, but I grew up doing concert, doing, doing comedy shows with uh, Jason Sudeikis, who's one of my best friends and who's gone on to great success as an actor and being on Saturday Night Live and all sorts of movies. And he has what I think is in a body of excellent work. The best work of his career is happening right now on Apple TV plus with his show, Ted Lasso. But anyway, um, we had done some concerts. We'd done some fundraising. It just is the thing that was most natural to me. It was like, I looked into trying to do golf tournaments, galas and five cases. Like, well, let's just, here, let's just have my, our friends play or let's play and raise money. And maybe it's less money, but we don't have money to spend on a golf tournament. Right. You know, uh, I can get the venue donated and my friends to play for free and then we'll raise $5,000 or whatever. Right. And so, you know, then in 2017, Sudeikis uh, had agreed that, to, to put on this show with me uh, to create this event, um, which was originally going to be a house band and a bunch of guest drummers, and he would host it. Um, it fortunately evolved to something with a broader appeal than just guest drummers. Yeah. Uh, uh, and that event is called Thunder Gong, and we've done three in a row now. since. I didn't realize you had done three of them. I thought it was only last year. No, uh, we've done – yeah, we're, we're – I'm – knee deep and way behind and trying to plan the fourth version. Right. And virtual. So as like, as a testament to, to, um, how sort of adept you are at, you know, pointing your, um, you know, pointing your musical kind of production showbiz skills at, um, steps of faith, like the last thunder gong had Jason Sudeikis, Fred Armisen, Ben Harper, Winona Judd, like it was at the Uptown Theater in Kansas City, which seats yeah. three thousand people or something. Like twenty five, twenty six hundred. Yeah, yeah. Like you're not fucking around. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I mean, and that's you know, look, I know how to put these events on. And back to the part about Jason making me feel like a Wonder Twin power. You know, um, Jason opens doors to bigger rooms. Mm, yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, we were going to do the drummer event at the record bar, you know, um, which is a much small, it was a small club here in town, 400 people. And so, um, but when Jason's like, yeah, let's do this and let's not just do drummers, let's call so-and-so and so-and-so. And And then it, then it just turned into this really crazy variety show. We say it's a benefit concert, but it's like, you know, summer breeze is the house band and we back everybody. (laughs) Jason. Jason and Forte and Fred were doing were doing cover songs. Basically, Fred has some original music that's mostly from comedic characters who are musicians because Fred grew up a musician who loved punk rock and loved the Clash. And so, you know, just as it, you know, just as I use my friends and music to raise money, you know, Fred uses his past and his present as a passionate music lover and performer to create comedy right you know? right and so uh we back all those people we back winona back ben harper you know ben harper good god like playing with that guy is like 
one of the biggest thrills of my life. And I've been able to do it two years in a row, you know? Um, and it's just, it's so full circle because like these, you know, I, I would imagine that you went to Nashville, you know, like gunning at that sort of gig with that level of artist, right? Absolutely. And, you know, even though that didn't happen in Nashville, this other path got set in front of you and you went down it and lo and behold, you're on stage with these people. Yeah. And it's my party that I created with my friends. Right. You know, right. Um, oh, yeah. It also raises hundreds of thousands of, thousands of dollars for my day job. Right. You no, know? I mean, that's why we're doing it. But like, personally, I get a lot out of it, yeah. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. and we have, you know, I have friends from, you know, my closest musician friends from old bands that slept on floors together and made a hundred bucks a week playing to people in tens all over the country, <laughs> uh, friends, you know, they're all involved and old friends and mutual friends of me and Sudeikis. And, um, yeah, it's really a dream come true, dude. Yeah. You know, um, yeah. the only disappointing thing about this year is we can't get together in person and it's going to mostly be an online thing. Jason and I'll be together, which would be good in the same room here in town, but you know, that I won't get to play with all these people selfishly, you know? Right. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really this, it is this kind of full circle thing, but again, it, it brings together that these are the things that we know how, they're the things that we know how to do the best because we've spent our lives doing them because they're the things we enjoy the most. Right. Playing drums, making music, geeking out on music, making each other laugh, being silly, you know, and just trying to create a really entertaining night for people. I mean, it's, I think about it every day, every year. And um, yeah, no, it's amazing. Yeah. And, and dude, I mean, like to get to play, like I played four shows on the road with Winona uh, in December and, you know, we'd played double drums, Cactus and I, a few times at Thunder Gong and a couple other things. I'd sat in with them here and there. Which was a thrill. That's I mean, so cool. Play. Like you, you get to play yeah. double double drums with only two legs between you. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, um, you know, uh, we were on stage at Thunder Gong, sound checking or rehearsing the day before. Cactus and I, two drum sets sitting next to each other, and he said, "What are you doing on December?" Blah blah blah. I was like, "Oh well, that's the date you guys are doing a Christmas show back here in like a month at Uptown." Um, remember we talked. I if you're, if I'm still invited, I'm going to come sit in with you guys. He was like, well, and so basically what happened was his son, he realized his son was going to be graduating from college. Mm. And so in Chattanooga, Tennessee. So he was like, there's a show the night before in Springfield, Missouri. And there's that show in Kansas city. I need a sub. Will you do it? And I was like, you're asking me to take to sub for you. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. you know, And it's like, Anybody in Nashville would, I would think, would be silly to not want to do that. Yeah. You know, uh, she's a world class, incredible, enormous superstar uh, singer who is brilliant and her voice is only better. Um, and uh, anyway, and she's, she walks the walk. She's but, incredible. But that's well, just, a, it's a perfect illustration of what we talk about all the time. This business is built on relationships. You didn't, Period. you didn't get to sub with Winona because you auditioned for it. You got to sub with Winona because you're friends with Cactus because of the path that you're on. Like the path that you're on brought that relationship into your life. And there's the and, opportunity. And, yeah. And together we created this fundraiser. And so then at that fundraiser, we were able to play music together and then I think, you know, they were able to see like, 
iron their trust on the music part. Yep. Like they, you know what I mean? It was the relationship. But also they realized I was, you know, quote unquote, good enough to, to hang. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and, uh, you know, I don't say any of that to toot my own horn. I say it to kind of, I guess, maybe piggyback on your point. Right. It's that it really is relationships. And it was like the perfect paid vacation. I went out for four days with them. The first two shows were just where we did double drums. That was my rehearsal. They just happened to be in front of thousands of people. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then the second two shows, you know, I was in the driver's seat um, in Springfield, Missouri and in Kansas city. And uh, it was a real thrill and it, it made me feel good as a, as a person. It made me feel good as a player. I got a lot out of it, my soul yeah. to do that. And, you know, I mean, I was in Nashville, like I said, doing, doing a session with some friends just on an independent rock and roll record a couple of weeks ago and went to, you know, I went to dinner at Cactus and Winona's house because they're like family to me, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, she's in an apron, you know, peeling shrimp talking to me about what we're going to do with thunder, <laughs> right. you know, yeah. dinner. and, and yeah, again, it's, it's relationships. So if that's just the thing, man, just like make friends and keep them and you never know where those relate. And it's, it's the long, you know, the long haul. Right. You know? Right. And I've, <laughs> I've started to think about that. Like in the last few years, I've, I've, I've tried to think less about like, what's the next gig I want to do and tried to think more about like, what do I want the rest of my life to feel like? <laughs> Amen. Amen. Right. Right. I want to, I want to continue getting better as a drummer because, because let me, let me rephrase that. I want to continue making music and doing new things creatively as a musician yeah. which will make me better as a drummer. Right. You know, um, Summer breeze is, is talking, uh, we're, we're gonna do it. We're gonna, we've kind of started writing some original material. That's kind of in that sonic vein of what we call yacht rock. Yeah. Uh, because we love that music so much. It's like, why not? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, we love playing together. Like the band is great. We've been able to back all these amazing artists. And that's another thing. It's like, we, we, we were so used to learning very hard songs on the fly. So that when thunder gong comes around and we have to learn 40 songs, knowing we're going to throw out 20 of them, very last minute and then learn two more because Ben Harper calls an audible, mm. uh, 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 you know, that's a, another skill that has been very sharpened with these guys and gals. Um, and so it's like, I'll go into battle with that crew with anybody, right? I wouldn't put anybody in the world, man. Right. Right. You know? Um, and it doesn't mean we're trying to do that per se. It just means I enjoy being around those guys and and uh making music with them and i love them and uh yeah i mean that's just what it is I, yeah that's I, it 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 w- playing with ben harper last year in particular something happened to me on stage and 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 this is a big point i want to make which i knew my doctor had been saying you need to be playing drums more for mm-hmm. your health right you need playing music more for your health but something happened playing with ben is so, it was such a freeing experience it was the second time i'd played with him um, you know, the second year in a row at Thunder Gong, um, we did one of the songs from the year before. So I knew that, and that was one of his hits. Um, and so, uh, but it, it was, so I was a little less nervous, I guess, you know, to, to play with him. Um, but also it just like the, the songs we played were like, I, I said, please play whatever you want, but like, 
can I maybe suggest some songs from your catalog mm-hmm. that I think would like go over well, you know? And I, and we played those songs, which like in retrospect, maybe that was ballsy that I did that. I don't even know. I just was like, play what you want, but here's songs I love. I just was trying to like remove the thought, like, will you please come do this thing? And will you do this at this thing? Mm-hmm. You know? And those songs were the most rock and roll, soulful, badass stuff I've ever played. And there was something about him trusting us and just being like getting it and rehearsing them and being like, yeah, more. Yeah. It, I get goosebumps talking about it because what it did was it happened at rehearsal and it happened during the show in front of 2000 plus people. It was the most, you know, freeing eyes closed, just eyes open enough to make sure I'm not going to miss a visual cue. It got, it was like there, there was like a little bit of a film, not even a shell, but a film that had kind of gone over the receptor of the music drug when you receive that high from playing at its most potent form. Yeah, yeah. A little bit of a film over my heart that had, and so it was always fun, but it was like, it was never like, never as fun as it, as the most fun you can remember having. Playing four songs last November with Ben Harper, that film melted off and i was reminded of how good it could be it doesn't need to be ben harper to get that good but from then on i was like i am made to do a lot of things on a regular basis but this is one of them mm-hmm. and I have to do it more yep because it was such a beautiful free moment for me and that man and my friends and the, our friends on stage. And it wasn't just, I had a good time and he hated it. It was what music is all about. This, we were one in that room. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. And we can and, still, yeah. we can still do it. We can like, it's harder. It's different now, but we can, yeah. we can still do it. Um, yeah. It was great seeing you. It was great talking to you, man. It, I'm, I'm just so glad to see you thriving and still kicking so much ass uh even even as the world ends slowly uh but coming back yeah i think so i think so man thank you so much for talking dude i i anytime it's great great talking to you buddy i appreciate you thinking of me of course of course we'll be back in kansas city before too long and we'll we'll find you i'd love it all right thanks a lot billy thanks man there you go billy brimble come great to catch up with him If you want to learn more about the Steps of Faith Foundation, check out stepsoffaithfoundation.org. Follow Billy on Instagram, too. Be on the lookout for those uh, drum breaks with his kids. Whatever kind of day you're having, one of those will make it better. Next week, Matt Krause will be bringing you his interview with Mike Dawson, New York drummer, managing editor of Modern Drummer Magazine, and co-host of the Modern Drummer Podcast. Looking forward to that one. Hope you check that out. And until then... Stay safe, and thanks for listening. Cheers. Cheers.